You're listening to the podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. Among the many places where we can mistakenly find our identity is our job or our occupation. We may get caught up in who we are and whatever role that we're playing and think that we are what we do. While work is an important part of our lives, we shouldn't be defined by it. Today, we look at an account in scripture that helps us see this a little more clearly. You know, when, when we meet someone new, uh, there's a few questions that we most likely will ask people. Um, any ideas? You know. Yeah, what do you do for a living? What else? I mean, where are you from? What else? Your name, right? I mean, that's probably um, you maybe where you grew up or where you went to school. But yeah, for the most part, those four or five questions are really the questions that we'll ask people when, uh, when we meet them for the first time. And... Um, you know, if, if we look at the etymology or the creation, uh, the genesis origin of, of names, how names came to be and were developed, uh, it was not uncommon years and years, probably centuries ago, for people to have a surname, their last name, that was adopted because of what they did. So uh, Smith, Cooper, Fisher, Carpenter, there, I'm going to keep this PG because there were some other names that I thought too, but I decided I probably won't mention some of those. But, but for the most part, you think about the fact that we have really connected what we do for a living to who we are. Our identity becomes kind of intrinsic to that and really in that. Last week, if, if you were with us, if you joined us online or listened to the podcast, we started this series about identity and talked about the fact that we were created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And that means that we're created with value, we're created for purpose, and we're created with purpose as well. And that's our starting point. Whenever we think about identity, even as we go through some of the misidentities that we have as people, we always need to go back to that place. That place where we remember and remind ourselves that, hey, I'm created in the image of God, and therefore, because of that, I'm valuable. I'm created with purpose, and I'm created for a purpose as well. And one of the things we talked about is that it's easy for us to get lost in our identity in good things that we have created to be ultimate things. Things that God created intentionally for us to enjoy and appreciate and take part in, but somehow or another, God's elevated, or we've elevated that to a place where it doesn't belong. And so today we look at this idea of what happens when we become what we do, and we say, I am what I do. I create, I introduce myself. You know, maybe you've been in that place before, maybe you're there where that's how you introduce yourself. Hey, I'm so-and-so, and this is what I do. My, my dad I, it drove me nuts for years, but when I lived at home, uh, my dad used to answer the phone, Pastor Gibson, all the time. And I'm like, ah, oh, dude, why, 
Why are you telling everybody who it is? Like, I, but I, you know, it was a prideful, I mean, it was a, a thing of pride, not in a bad way for him, but in much the same way that someone would say, you know, Dr. So-and-so or whatever. But, but that's, you're not going to catch me out there necessarily introducing myself as Pastor Gibson to everyone. But if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at an account this morning of, of two sisters who look at the same situation very, very differently. And I think out of their account, we can look at um, how we kind of interact and, um, and focus on this idea of occupation and occupational identity. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. We're, I'm reading in the New International Version. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you have an app, scroll to that. Otherwise, that version will be on the screen in front of you as well. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And not necessarily a show of hands, but how many of us have have been in the place of Martha before? Where we start doing all this preparation, and then we realize when we look around, like, no one's to our right, no one's to our left, and we get incredibly angry because no one's joining us. And maybe if we're a a child or a a youth, like we go and we're like, well, why isn't my sister helping me? Or why isn't my brother helping me? Well, he's not doing it. She's not doing it. And we easily uh, get so focused and fixated on these tasks that we have. That's what Martha's doing. She wants to make sure that everything is perfect. And some of you, I know your strengths profiles, so I know that that's what you do at times. You get to that place where you're like, all right, here's what I'm going for, and I'm going to hit this goal at all costs, no matter what. This is where I'm going, and I want and expect that everybody else is going to go there with me. Different personalities among us will obsess about different things. The high achievers among us will get caught up in the doing of things here. A constant reminder to us that we can idolize and find our identity in good things that we've become or that we've made to become ultimate things. Work in and of itself, preparation, all those things are good things. But when we become so obsessed in them that they become ultimate to us, that what I'm doing becomes who I am, that's when we start getting into trouble. If we go back and look in Genesis chapter 2, we see that God created work. You know, there's some people who may try to convince you that, that work is, is a result of sin in the fall, but that's not the case at all. Prior to sin entering into the world, there was work. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So right there, we know that God created work. 
He had an intention that we would be about work and we would be doing work. But somewhere along the way, if we read to the next chapter, we see what happened with work. If you have a Bible again, just turn over to the next chapter in Genesis and we see what happened as soon as Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one that God had told them not to eat from, It says in verse 17 of Genesis 3, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Now, just as a parenthetical aside, men, that does not give you a reason to say, I will not listen to my wife. Just want to make sure that no one's taking Scripture out of context here. Okay? Continuing on. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. God created work, and we messed it up. <laughs> okay? God created work for us, for our enjoyment, for our pleasure, for us to actually take part in. And then when sin entered the world, work became tedious and toilsome and hard. Work isn't a bad thing, but if we make it an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. Maybe you've heard other people say um, that you can work to live or live to work. Um, I had this discussion with somebody yesterday that um, sometimes we find a job, we take a job that affords us to be able to do some of the things that we want to do. In that case, we're working to live. Um, There are also people who work 80 to 100 plus hours a week. And I wonder if they're really working to live or if they're living to work. When we get so caught up in what we do and almost become enslaved to our jobs. And think about the things that you do for work. And I, you know, it's, there are a couple of pet peeves that I have and it's always driven me crazy because I've seen how hard my wife works as a mom and as a wife um, that, you know, these images that people used to convey that if you're a stay-at-home mom, like all you do is sit and eat bonbons on the couch and stuff, like those are not in my head because I've seen um, what stay-at-home moms do. So I do not like to demean occupations just because you're not paid for them, right? So regardless of what it is that you do, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, whether uh, you actually work uh, in a, in a job that, that pays you money, think about what it is you do and ask yourself, does that work help others? Does that work help others? You know, there's a book called Strong and Weak written by a guy named Andy uh, Crouch who in that he talks about Uh, The fact that being vulnerable means that we expose ourselves to meaningful risk. Relationships are about vulnerability and exposing ourselves to meaningful risk. I think part of what we do in that is we expose ourselves to meaningful risk for the flourishing of others. That's what Crouch would say, and I agree with him. And one of the things that we have to ask ourselves is when we do a work, again, regardless of whether it's paid or not paid, in the home, outside the home, 
Are we helping others flourish in the things that we do? Are we helping other people experience things that they would not experience before? Or um, have things that they might not have had before? There may be some things that we, we feel like it's harder to connect to that flourishing than others. There are some jobs that right out of the gate, like if we think about them, we say, oh yeah, definitely. Like if I'm, if I'm a police officer, I'm a public servant, or if I'm a, a doctor or, or something like that, I may say, oh yeah, teacher. You know, there are those things that we might automatically go to and say, okay, yeah, those, no doubt, like those are helping others flourish. But I think there are other ways that people can help others flourish. There, there are some jobs that it's probably, you know, going to be a challenge to find that in. But do we ask ourselves whether what we do is helping others flourish or not? Because I think it's an important question for us. I don't think the only way that we, we can make a difference, only way that we can uh, help others flourish is to, to work for God. You know, I don't think missionaries and pastors are the only ones who help others flourish. I think each and every one of us, if we're asking these questions about, am I helping others flourish in the places that God puts me, we can help, our, help um order things in such a way that we realize that, yeah, I, I am helping, and what I do is leading to the flourishing of other people. Looking over at this passage again in Luke chapter 10, you see what verse 40 says. It says, Martha was distracted by her many tasks. I, I, every time I see something that jumps out to me in English, I always go back and say, like in the original language that the New Testament was written in, in Greek, I always want to go back and say, what, it, what did it say there? Because maybe my translation isn't really giving it the, the meaning that it needs. And the word that's used here about what Martha's doing is perispao. And if you take, again, words apart, think about what a perimeter is, right? It's the outside of a circle. So peri means around, um, and, and spao means to like draw. So Martha literally was drawing circles around things. She was basically running around in circles. The work that Martha was doing was consuming her. It was causing her to be frenetic and to just kind of circle. I felt like that before. <laughs> I felt like that five minutes before the service started, right? Like running around in, in circles. Feeling like I'm so focused on a task that I'm missing what else is around me. You know, I think any of us who are parents can easily say that, like, if we're honest, hey, I've been there before. I, I know what it's like to feel like I'm chasing my tail, to feel like I'm running around in circles. I'm drawing in circles here. I, I think it's interesting to look at, at this passage and ask, what is it that Jesus asked of Martha? Because if you notice in this, he doesn't ask for anything. From the moment that he comes into Martha's house, he doesn't say, hey, you know, where's my wine? Like, hey, where's my foot washing? Hey, where's this? Where's that? 
from moment one, I mean, even if we look at it, it says, a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She invited him to come. Like, he didn't invite himself. Like, she invited him to come, and then she had a picture in her head of everything that he wanted, even though she never said it. And how many times do we do that? Do we figure in our head, hey, this must be what they expect of me. And then we run after that, and we never took a minute to sit down and say, hey, is this what you want? No. We automatically assumed and projected and said, well, they must want this. And Jesus never once says, hey, give me a full course meal here. Like, put the game on TV. Like, yeah, let me prop, prop my feet up. Not once does he say that. Martha just goes about all those tasks, all those preparations. She's so fixated and focused on it. She realizes her sister's not there, and she starts getting mad. And I wonder, who is she doing the work for? Who's Martha working for in these moments? Because she's probably convinced herself that she's doing this for Jesus, right? Like, well, Jesus is here. He's a guest in my home. So I I have to get about doing all this stuff. I have to do these preparations. Even though Jesus didn't once ask for all these things, she's telling herself, I'm working for Jesus. (laughs) Now, I wonder how many times we can get caught in the idolatry of work Peter Scazzaro, who writes a lot about being emotionally healthy. I appreciate this quote from him about working for God. He says this, But work for God that's not nourished by a deep interior life with God will eventually be contaminated by other things, such as ego, power, needing approval of and from others, buying into the wrong ideas of success and the mistaken belief that we can't fail. When we work for God because of these things, our experience of the gospel often falls off center. We become human doings and not human beings. Our experiential sense of worth and validation gradually shifts from God's unconditional love for us in Christ to our works and performance. The joy of Christ gradually disappears. Did you catch what he said in there? We move from being human beings to human doings. Maybe a little cheesy at times, but I think it's a really good thought about how often we can get so caught up in the doing of life that we miss the being of who God's created us to be. We may tell ourselves that we're meeting expectations, even though all those expectations were put on us by ourselves and by nobody else. We may be projecting those onto others and expecting that they'll do the same thing. That's what Martha's doing here. She assumed Jesus wanted everything that she was preparing. And she gets mad at her sister, and instead of internalizing that and keeping that conflict to herself, what does she do? She doesn't go, talk about the passive-aggressive Martha here too, right? Like, she doesn't go to her sister, Mary, and say, hey, Mary, why aren't you helping me here? She goes right to the top. She goes to Jesus. Now, honestly, parents, like, we know what that's like, right? 
Like if we have kids with siblings, like they will bypass that in a heartbeat and go like, he's not doing what you told him to do. Oh, mom, dad, like, right? Like all you oldest children in here, like go ahead. You can confess. I'll give you a minute. Like not to me. Confess to God, right? <laughs> we, hey, we do it. I mean, we do that. And Mary, she goes right in. You see, when we start acting and working out of our own need to be needed, we then get resentful of others around us who aren't following suit. (laughs) Let me say that again in case you didn't want to hear it the first time. When we start acting and working out of our own need to be needed, we then get resentful about the others around us who aren't following suit. Why isn't she working hard? Why doesn't he come in early? How come he gets to leave early? How come he gets the day off? How come, how come, how come? Why, why, why? And we get so consumed with everybody else and we forget what we're supposed to be doing. And I I love how Jesus responds to Martha in this. He focuses her back. And when I talked in, my, in the strength seminar yesterday, focus, uh, there's 34 possible strengths. Focus is probably at the bottom for me, which is why I have notes to keep me on track. Focus. Jesus focuses Martha back on track. And he says, you're worrying about all these things. You're missing the most important thing. Only one thing is necessary, he tells her, and guess who got it right? <laughs> I guarantee you, Martha was angrier than, you know, a cat that's had its tail stepped on at that moment. Because she was not expecting that. <laughs> when she complained to Jesus, when she felt all that anger deep inside of her, she was expecting that he would validate her. And instead, he validates the one that she's ticked off at and says, actually, Martha, Mary got it right. Mary got it right. All you've been doing is running around trying to prepare for things that I never told you I needed. And she's been sitting at my feet, in my presence, enjoying my company. I've heard plenty of people say that at the end of a life, there's nobody on their deathbed who says, man, I wish I spent more time at work. I wish that I had worked more. They may say, I wish I'd accomplished more. More often than not, they'll say they wished that they had spent more time with their family, with the people that they loved. They wished they'd had more opportunities like that. The things that Martha was doing were not bad things. Jesus wasn't saying, like, you're being sinful in pursuing those things. Those were good things, but Martha took good things and tried to make them ultimate things. She made them more important than they were. And that's what God's calling us away from. Away from that place where we're so fixated on fo- and focused on tasks that we miss people. 
Some of us, we do that easily. We, we easily focus on tasks and we miss the people around us. Some of us are really good at focusing on people and forgetting all the tasks around us. We've got to find a balance there between them both. And I wonder how do we do, each of us, at being physically present and spiritually, emotionally, and mentally present at the same time? Some of us do a really good job of being where we're supposed to be and physically in the place where we're supposed to be at that time, but we suck when it comes to actually being emotionally and mentally present in that moment. Like, don't give yourself a pat on the back because you're like, hey, I made it home for dinner, and the whole time you got your phone and you're like scrolling through it and you're checking it or whatever. That's not, I don't care how physically present you are. If you're not emotionally, mentally, and spiritually present in that moment, you ain't present. And if this is making you uncomfortable, it's equally making me uncomfortable. So, just so you know, we're all in this together. Like a couple years ago, Chick-fil-A, I remember they had this like box on the the tables. This was pre-COVID, right? When people actually would go to a restaurant and eat, right? Like, and, and they encouraged everyone that, that you get your phone and you put it in that box and you lock it up until your, your dinner was over. Otherwise, you'd have a table of five going like this the whole time. Like we stink as a culture of being both physically and emotionally present. Physically and mentally present. But what are we doing to make sure that it's not just a box that we check off to say, hey, I'm physically there. Some of us are really good at taking up space while our heads are somewhere else. We get caught up in our heads while our bodies are somewhere else. Are we consumed by notifications? I, I've, I've tried my best to do, and, and I'm, again, I said at the beginning, like, I am a third way kind of guy. I'm not a, like, you either do this or you do that. Like, there's some people who are like, well, phones are of the devil because they always take me away. And I'm like, no, learn discipline. Like, don't just throw it away because you suck at being able to handle it. Like, figure out a way to control it. So like, for me, I leave my phone downstairs every night. Of course, I usually struggle with insomnia, so at some time during the night, I'm back down there again. But like, I keep it down there. I've turned notifications off with emails, with social media on my phone, so I have to actually go into an app in order to see what's there. I'm not saying that that's the solution for everyone, but like, that's for me. Are we, are we actually taking time to say, hey, am I being physically and emotionally present and mentally present in the places that God's putting me? Or am I getting so consumed? Like all of us can make ourselves, and it, and it makes me, look, if we're honest, like getting those notifications makes us feel important. You know, do a study of that stuff. Watch, you know, The Social Dilemma on Netflix and find out about what they've done in order to make you feel important. Like when you get notifications, hey, I've got 20 new emails. I'm somebody special. Like it can make us feel good. (laughs) Some of us are like, oh my gosh, I've got 20 emails. How do I deal with all that? 
but like figure out a way to intentionally say, hey, I'm going to put this in a place that keeps it from becoming ultimate. Because it's a good thing. Work is good. God created it. But when we make it ultimate, we've missed it. And we've put it in a place that it was never intended to be. So what do we do with all this? One question I think we need to ask ourselves is, are we human beings or are we human doings? There may be times that we feel like human beings. Maybe it takes us going on vacation to feel that. The other question is, in your work, whatever it is, volunteer, paid, home, outside, how are you helping others flourish in the things that we do? How are we helping others flourish in our work? And then finally, what ways will we seek to be fully present with the people around us? I'm not urging everyone to go home and like, Sit at dinner in the moment someone takes a phone, you know, throw it across the room and get mad because, you know, these things are getting more and more expensive. But are, are we intentionally asking ourselves these questions and doing what we can to help keep our work, which is a good thing, which enables us to live, but are we keeping it in check and keeping it in a place where it belongs rather than letting it be elevated to a place it was never intended to be. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. God, I'm, I'm grateful that scripture's full of people like Martha and Mary. Because, God, I feel more like Martha than Mary. I feel more like I'm so busy doing things that I forget to just bask in your presence to spend time with the people who matter most. So God, we need your help because in and of ourselves, we can't do this. We want to elevate work to a place it was never intended to be. So God, help us. Help us to uh, find a rhythm. Help us to find a way that we, yes, can work and can work hard and can put our whole selves into that. But when it's time to step away, show us how to do that. Show us what we need to do to be physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually present and to not get caught up in human, being a human doing, but in being a human being. God, you want us to flourish. You want us to help others flourish. And so we ask that you would guide us in knowing how best to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever feel like you're missing the human being part and instead living as a human doing? How are we helping others flourish in what we do? I hope you'll take some time this week to ponder the questions that we asked today. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at thebranchashland at gmail.com. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.